That's true. Okay. Children, we love you. Your mothers love you. Go to children's church. <laughs> They're, they're extra, extra squirmy on Mother's Day, aren't they? Blue dress, purple pants, white boots. I love it. All right. If you are um, getting settled with your scriptures, we are in uh, the book of Matthew. And we are in chapter 19, which is roughly where we left off yesterday, or last week, not yesterday. We, um, in case you think I'm skipping scripture, I'm not, okay? We are not picking up in verse 13 through 15. We have already handled that section of scripture uh, on a previous Sunday. I combined it with uh, a very similar passage earlier on. So we are jumping to, uh, to verse 16 in Matthew chapter 19. So if you get your finger there, we'll, uh, uh, we'll get there in just a second. But, you know, it's funny. Um, yesterday was the totem to totem run slash walk slash... Um, endurance race. Anybody, I mean, I know Corey walked at you. Well, anybody else participate in that? The gentries? Okay, yeah, of course, the gentries. Um, and, uh, and I watched them from my, from my porch, and I felt like I should have rolled out a banner because, you know, um, and I thought about for next, next year, I want to get a big banner that says, go team, or, you know, good for you, or keep going, or I don't know, something, because I felt like lazy, just <laughs> in my... In my pajamas, watching the runners go by, drinking my coffee, going, and I got nothing on them. They, they, and 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 the reality is, I mean, it's 13 point something miles, right? So it's a half marathon, um, and so right about midtown, right about my house, give or take, is right about the halfway point, right? Um, and so as I'm watching runners go by, I'm watching them, and I'm thinking they're halfway through it, and they've got halfway to go, and I think, man. That's a long distance to run, and then to know you've got to double that and run it again or walk it again. Um, there's something that happens at the halfway point in your body, and your body just says, mm-mm, not anymore. Um, I recently started running, which is the only reason I can speak to this with any kind of pretend authority, okay? Um, about a month ago, I got a membership at the gym because I'm a grown-up, and that's what grown-ups do. And, uh, and I didn't know what to do when I got there because I've never had a gym membership before. And, and so I kind of walked around awkwardly looking at all of the equipment, not knowing what to do with any of it. And so I ran the track because that's the default thing that it, it said 12 and a half times around, and that's a mile. And I thought, okay, I'll do that, and I feel good about myself. 13 minutes later, I felt really great about myself having ran the mile, and I accomplished something, and I left the gym. Did it. And then I thought, I have a gym membership for a year. i got to keep going back and doing that. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't want to run the track anymore. I wanted to be serious about it. I wanted to work hard. So I went to the, the cardio room um, overlooking the pool, and I got on the treadmill and, you know, feeling awkward because there's all these people that look like they should be there, and then there's me who doesn't have any <laughs> kind of pretend thing that this is what I do. And, uh, and so I run my mile very casually on the treadmill, and I walk off, and I'm like, I feel good about myself. That was easy. I can do that. I did that for a couple days, and then I realized I don't have a problem running a mile. There's no problem in my body with running a mile. That's not challenging me in any way, shape, or form. There's no reason I should just continue doing this because it's not doing anything for me. So I thought, okay, um, I'll run my mile, and then I'll see how much further I can go. So I didn't set a limit. I just thought I'll run until I'm done. Um, 
and I ran, uh, I ran 6K that day. Now, what you need to know about me is I've always been a sprinter. Ever since I was a little kid, I've been in track since like second grade. Okay, it's what I love to do. I just love to run sprints. My coach took one look at me when I was in second grade and said, sprinter, 75-yard dash, because second grade, you know, that was like the big sprint. And, um, and then as I got older, it was 200, and then it's the other forms of sprints, and some of them had hurdles, but most of them were just straight, straight running. And I was always told, you're a sprinter. That's who you are. You sprint. We don't consider you for long-distance running. You're a sprinter. You get it done over and quack, and then you're done, and that's it. You can sit on the sidelines. You're a sprinter. You're a sprinter. Peter, you're a sprinter. And so when I, I finished running and I looked at the treadmill and it said 6K, and I thought, that's not a sprint. I couldn't have done that. I am not a long-distance runner. That's an anomaly. I am I'm a sprinter. I don't run long distance. So the next, I waited a day, and then I went back, and I thought, I'm going to run 5K again, see if I can do it. And then my mind started playing tricks on me. And I got, I, there's one treadmill, far, don't ever take my treadmill, far right-hand side, okay? Um, and it has a picture screen, so a little TV screen, and you can change your view because it's, you know, the pool in front of you can only last so long. Um, and uh, if they're not running the water slides, there's really nothing entertaining. And so um, the little screen in front of you, you can change your view. You can run around a standard track, but that's boring. Or you can run this. It's a picture of a mountain, but just a straight line under the mountain. And I'm like, what does that do? You know. So, But then there's this windy, they call it the mountain view path or something. It's this windy path, and it's a 5K path. And it's a little red line that follows you through this path so you can see how you're doing. So I'm running this uh, 5K, and I started off because I've done it before, so I know I can do it. I've done it once. I can do it again. Um, and um, about 30 seconds in, my calf muscles are like, no, mm-mm, you're not doing this. And I'm like, oh, come on now. We're just getting started. So, you know, that there was a, a, a hairy 15 seconds of, well, am I going to continue this? Um, and then I continued. And I pushed past that first 30, 45 seconds, and I, I felt good about myself. And I'm running, and I, I watched the little red dot curve through the mountain view path all the way. And I get, I kid you not, I get... Um, 1.2 miles in, which is just shy of the halfway mark of this 5K. And my lungs are starting to burn, and my legs are getting that heavy kind of, I'm not sure that they're going to pick up and go all the way through the run, because I'm a sprinter, right? I'm not a long-distance runner. Um, and, uh, and so um, I'm, I'm really wondering at the halfway part mark, can I continue? Is this something I should even consider continuing? It hurts. Is it beneficial for me to continue running? How is this helping me be a better person? Um, but I thought, no, I did it once. I'll just watch the kids go down the water slide, and, um, and I will focus on that, and I will keep running, and I won't look at the progress tracker anymore. And so I pushed through that halfway mark, and I felt better on the other side of that halfway mark. There's something that happened to my body, and I don't know what it is, um, wherein something changed, and the pain changed and went away, and I was able to actually enjoy the second half of that 5K with a really comfortable stride and then even go further than that at the end of it. And I was actually really proud of myself. Um, and now I've been running uh, 5Ks every other, uh, every other day uh, throughout the course of the week because I, I can. But every single time, I kid you not, the first 30, 40 seconds is like, come on, calves, let's get with it. And then at the halfway mark, every single time, I want to stop. Every single time, I don't want to continue at the halfway mark. And we're going we're gonna to talk this morning about that, that halfway mark in the race that we run of faith. Okay? So 
all of that to say, that was an introduction to scripture this morning. I'll stop talking myself and we'll start reading what scripture has to say. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. If your feet get tired halfway through standing, just push through it. Okay. Matthew chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said, why do you ask me about what's good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And so he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the young man said to him, all these I have kept, so what am I lacking? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, then go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, because he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, who can be saved at this point? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on your 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is the word of God. You guys may have a seat. I'm going to put this disclaimer right up front. This is not a passage about money. People use this passage to teach about money, and you can, but the primary concept behind this passage has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with submission to Christ in your life. If it happens to be money that trips you up, then yes, you need to deal with the money issue. But if it's not money, it's something else. And so it's this passage that talks about surrender to God in all areas of our life. Now, we're going to look at this in terms of a race today. Because there was the race yesterday, and my legs are still sore from running this week, so I'm really living this live here. Here's the passage. This man, he was a rich young ruler, is what we glean from Scripture. We, we might even read into this that he was a Pharisee because of the way that he phrased his question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Every time we read in Scripture, and it happened in, in the passage last week, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him. Is it lawful? And time and time again, when the Pharisees come up to Scripture, or come up to Jesus, and we read about it in Scripture, it starts off with a question that is meant to trick Jesus, to see if they can discredit Jesus. And so this is the same kind of question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus answers, don't even talk to me about good. Nothing on this earth is good. Only God is good. And only God is good through what God did on the cross with Jesus, but that will come in the future. Jesus said, you can find life in the law. That's how he answered. If you're looking for life, he didn't say eternal life. 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, if you want life, you can go to the law. And so the man responded, what law? What laws do I need to keep? Let me write them down so that of all of the laws I break, I don't break those laws because I want life. Give me the, what's the list so that I am certain to never, never break those specific ones because the other ones I can break and still have eternal life. These ones I never want to forget. Jesus, give me them. So Jesus listed some laws. And then the man, the man had a curious response. I've done all those things. Why do I feel, still feel empty? What do I lack? Why am I still feeling like I'm missing something? I've kept the laws you told me to keep, and you said I would have life, but I don't feel like I have life. Why am I lacking something? And Jesus looked at him and said, you lack perfection. You have life, but you have not eternal life. So you need to get rid of the obstacles which hinder your relationship with me, surrender everything fully to me, and follow me 100%, and then you will have perfection. Then you will have eternal life. Then you will not feel empty on the inside. And the man turned away and left, leaving empty and sorrowful because he was not willing to surrender that which he had for that which he could gain in Christ. This is a race of faith that we are running. It's not so much a sprint as I was told I was a sprinter. It's not so much there and back and then you're done. This is a race of endurance, a race of longevity, a race of continual forward motion, deciding continually every day to follow Jesus. And it starts somewhere. Well, at the starting line, right? Where all good races start. It starts at the starting line. See, this man knew about Jesus. He followed Jesus to some extent. Perhaps he was curious if Jesus could offer him something else. Perhaps he was one of the Pharisees that was sent to spy on Jesus and track his every motion. But he knew Jesus, and he knew what Jesus was teaching. The man also had an understanding of the law. He was religious, but he did not have a relationship with God in the way that Christ would want him to. And he had, in his own estimation, kept the law perfectly. But inwardly, he knew he was lacking something. Inwardly, he was um, struggling with this imperfection and this emptiness. He knew he was not perfect. And the contradiction of his exterior perfection and his interior imperfection, well, it bugged him. And so he wanted to knew, know what else he could do. He entered into this conversation with Jesus, um, not humbly as a sinner seeking salvation and forgiveness and grace, but as a lawyer looking for a loophole to allow him to live life the way he desired, but with God's blessing on it. God, I want to live the way I want to live, but I want you to bless it. And I want to feel full and happy and content all the time. I'd love your Holy Spirit to be with me while I do things that are in direct contradiction to the way that you would have me live. Jesus focuses on the second uh, tablet of the Decalogue, when he, the Ten Commandments, when he gives the laws that this man wrote down. Okay? He focused on the fifth through the ninth commandments, and he went six, seven, eight, nine, five if you're interested in how he gave the commandments. 6, 7, 8, 9, 5. And then he gave his twofold summary of the law, which is uh, this. Uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary okay, that he gives. He says, you need to do these things if you would have life. So when you read this, it might kind of prick something in your memory about when Jesus was in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said... 
How does one keep the law? Well, if you have even thought angry thoughts in your heart towards someone else, then you have committed murder. And so perhaps when the Pharisee was hearing this, here are the things that you should not do. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness on your father and mother, so forth and so on. Maybe he was thinking that Jesus was saying, listen, I can, I can tell. I mean, outwardly, yeah, but inwardly, no. Um, let's be honest. You know you're not perfect. I know you're not perfect, and I have the solution for that. Okay? So Jesus takes this man's logic and kind of flips it upside down. Here's what he says. The law is not where you find your perfection. It is where your imperfection is pointed out. The law is not where you find your perfection. You do not go to the law and receive life in Christ Jesus. You go to the law and you see that you need life in Christ Jesus. The law is not where you find perfection. It's where your imperfection is pointed out. Likewise, the law is not where you find salvation. It's what points us to salvation in Christ Jesus. All of the laws point you to Jesus. All of the laws say, look at how impossible it is without God for you to live this way. You need God in your life. Let's go ahead, and I like reading scripture out loud together. I think there's something really great about it. So let's read this out loud together, okay? For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's found in Romans 10. See, this is what that verse says. They know the law, but they don't know God. They establish their own works, their own ways to earn salvation, but they're not submitting to God. They take the law and they keep it and consider that salvation, but it's not. They're not submitting to God. They know God as Lord and lawgiver, but not as Savior and grace giver. And there's a really big difference between a lawgiver and a grace giver. And frankly, I'd rather have a grace giver, even if there's some things I need to follow along with. I'd rather have the grace giver. I heard it put like this this week. I don't know if you saw Sam Wilbon's Facebook status this week. I was writing my sermon. He's a guy we graduated with from college. Man, smart as a smart as I don't even know smart. He's just. I don't know how God put all that brain in that head, but he did. And um, he puts things so perfectly. He said this <clears throat> on his Facebook stage. Um, it's like wanting Jesus to be your Savior, or wanting Jesus to be your Savior, but not your Lord, is like wanting to lose weight while eating a whole cheesecake every day. And I thought, well, yeah, we do that in our own spiritual lives. I want Jesus to be my Lord, but I'm going to cram my pile full of all kinds of things that God doesn't want in my life. Oh, but he's my Lord, but I'm still shoving things in there that shouldn't be in my life. It's never going to happen. Um, you cannot, <laughs> uh, Sam so eloquently put it, um, it's just not going to happen. Um, so outwardly, you can keep the appearance of the law, but inwardly, you might not have been changed by Christ into a new creation. And this is the starting point where you realize you are lacking something, where you realize, man, there's something not matching up and I want more. See, being raised in the church does not make you a Christian. Being raised in the church does not make you a Christian. Parents, you need to hear this. Raising your children in the church will not make them a Christian. Raising them in Christ will. And there's a difference. Knowing the Bible 
and knowing how to appear like a Christian, speaking Christianese, doesn't make you a Christian. Reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Memorizing scripture doesn't make you a Christian. Praying, going to church, tithing, leading a ministry, always seeming busy with the holy things that we do, that doesn't make you a disciple. They are parts of the disciple life, but they are not what makes you a Christian. Like this guy in this passage, perhaps some of us are asking the wrong questions of Jesus. What's the minimum I need to do to get by? What's the least I have to do to skate into heaven? What's the old song, you can't get to heaven on roller skates because you'll roll right by those pearly gates? Um, it's going to roll in my head now for the rest of the, the message. Um, so sorry if it's going to be in your head too. Um, when I was in college, we did this thing where even through seminary, I'm a horrible practice. I'm guilty of I'm not saying do this. But you look at the syllabus at the beginning of the year and you look at the point values assigned to every assignment. And then you work your way through and then you do the math at the end of the quarter. And you go, okay, I've got two assignments left, or I've got a big paper left, or I've got a test left. What grade do I need on this not to fail the class? Yeah, right? Right, parents, your children will figure this out at some point, counsel them against it, teach them to apply their full effort to the very last day of the class, okay? Um, otherwise, they will suffer for it later on. But um, I'm guilty of it. I would work really, you know, casually through the semester, skating by on what I knew I could do. I was a decent student, and I didn't have to work too hard to get decent grades. And then on the last week of the, I'd do the math. Well, I'd have Shelly do the math for me because I don't do numbers. I'd have Shelly do the math for me. And, uh, and she would tell me, you need to get a such and such percent to maintain the A or the B in the class. That determined then how hard I'd study. You know, if I knew, if I, there were some times when I, I, could, I could get a zero, I could not show up for the final and still get a B or an A in the class because of what I'd done thus far. I'm going to show up for that test. It's not necessarily finishing strong. It's not necessarily the best way to do it. Not a great witness of, uh, not a great use of financial aid and all of the resources that were being poured into me. Okay. Um, okay. Um, the wrong question to ask. What's the least amount of effort I need to put into it? How can I skate by? How can I have God's will and his approval of my own will? Okay. God, Jesus, he's calling us to more than works. He's calling us to more than, give me the, give me the six laws I need to keep. He's calling us more, to, uh, more than an outward demonstration. He's calling us to an outpouring of love for Christ okay, that would change the rest of our lives. See, Jesus invited this man and He's inviting you all, okay, myself included, to a journey past the starting line in faith, to move past that initial gunfire and go. Um, if you are asking, what is the least I can do? What is the least I can get away with and still be a Christian? You have a serious heart condition, a fatal heart condition, okay? If you are asking, what's the least I can do to get by with and still be a Christian? You have a fatal heart condition, and you're at the starting line. You do not want to run the race with that heart condition. You will only become a law keeper, and you will not become the receiver of grace that God so desperately wants to pour out on you. You might know Jesus. You might believe in Jesus. But you might not have actually experienced the freedom that comes from the forgiveness of sins and the submission to his grace. You might be at the starting line this morning. Longing for the forgiveness, longing for the freedom, 
longing for something more, but you've been trying to earn it yourself. Or you've been trying to do it alongside of what God says, and that doesn't work. Okay, so if you're there this morning, um, if that's where you are, that's okay. Can I say that? It's okay to be at the starting line. It's okay to have lived your whole life under works so long as you hear the word of God say there's something better out there for you. Please don't stay at the starting line this morning. Some of you, though, are a little past the starting line. Some of you are at the halfway point. That's not an easier place to be, though, okay? If you've done any running in any concept, the halfway point is still not an easy place to be. Um, I read up on marathon running this week because it was easy to do that and think about marathon running rather than actually running one. Um, I read some really interesting quotes, though, from marathon runners, and one of them was this. This is someone who runs, I don't remember their name, I should have written it down. They, they run the 100K marathon. Like, really? Who does that? Who decides, I'm going to run 100K? That's crazy talk. But there are people that do it, and more, okay? But here's what this, this, uh, this person holds um, world championships and Olympian status, okay? If it's going to hurt, I want it to be worth it. If it's going to hurt, I want it to be worth it. It's going to hurt when you run 100K. It hurts me when I run 5K. I'm still sore, okay? But I want it to be worth it. I want there to be something greater than just that pain. Um, if it's going to hurt, I want it to be worth it. I thought that was a great quote. See, at the halfway point in a race, your body decides it shouldn't go any further. Um, common science to this point in terms of running and the body and how it works says that your, body's, your, your muscles start to release lactic acid at a certain point, which causes them to hurt and slow down and do all kinds of things that prohibit your running. And so that was what science had said. Your body says it's time to start running. When, when you get to that point, your muscles have fatigued. New science, however, as they are studying the brain and its interaction with the body, show that's not true. Your brain can override your lactic acid um, oozing, buildup, whatever it's called, okay? Um, I don't know what it's called. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a pastor, okay? Um, so your brain can override the production of the lactic acid. You can, with your brain, train yourself to run past the halfway point of pain because your brain can stop that buildup, that production from occurring. What happened was your body says, I think I'm going to die. Therefore, I'm going to produce lactic acid and make the body stop. That's what the muscle said. But your brain knows, I'm not going to die. It's 5K. I can do this. I will keep running, and I will be stronger for it. I want the pain to count for something. Okay? Um, so... Um, the obstacles that are in your path to faith, muscle fatigue, dehydration, uh, pain, your mind even plays games with you, they are obstacles to tell you, you can't do this. It's time for you to quit. You aren't strong enough. You've not done enough uh, to get through this race. In fact, you've already done enough to feel good about quitting at this point. That's what your body tells you, and for me, it's at that halfway point um, in that 5K race. And those obstacles, if you give in to them, will keep you from reaching the finish line, okay? I watched it out here at the halfway mark. There's a posture of runners um, that they get when they're at that halfway point. If you've ever watched marathon runners, the posture changes at about the halfway mark because they're fighting that muscle. They're fighting the brain that says, don't produce that lactic acid. I can do this, mm, okay? Get in the game, brain, we're doing this. The posture changes. There's a little hunched overness that happens. 
Dehydration starts to kick. I watched it happen, runner after runner after runner. A few people didn't, and I'm like, I don't know who these people are. Maybe they hit the halfway part early or late, I don't know. But I watched it happen yesterday. Obstacles can keep you from making progress. So here's the question. What obstacles in life are keeping you from pursuing God fully? This isn't a rhetorical question. This is a real question. Don't answer it out loud, but I want you to answer it in your brain, in your heart. What obstacles are keeping you from pursuing God? What are knocking you out halfway? You go, I want to love God. I want to follow God. I want to serve God. I want to know more about God. And then something enters the scene and you receive backwards. What is that? What causes you to give up, to roll over and to say, it's easier if I just stop and play dead for a while? Finances, family, relationships, schedules, worry, the unknown. Even a call to ministry can make you put the brakes on. A crisis in life, something you can't fix. You're like, I don't, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't. And then your spiritual lactic acid kicks in and you seize up and you don't go any further. And it might be easier to quit, but easier doesn't produce maturity in the Christian or a faith that endures all things, or, according to Jesus, perfection and eternal life. Let's read this verse together, okay? Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When steadfastness takes full effect, you will be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. See, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, give up all your money and follow me. Okay, because that's what that guy struggled with. If he was talking to you, it might be different. Okay, he might be saying, give up something else. And it's echoed in James. It's still the word of God. It's still Jesus' word to our hearts. You will encounter trials. That's not even an if. That's like a when you do. Okay, you will encounter trials. And they will produce steadfastness if you, in God, push through that halfway point. And that steadfastness will help you become perfect in Christ. What's tied to perfection? Patience for the race and pushing past the halfway point. Trials and tribulations of the faith produce maturity, and that only occurs when you are willing to endure the pain for the greater goal on the other side. When you are willing to recognize you cannot rely on your own strength or wisdom anymore, and you need to rely on God. And it's in those moments of crisis, in the face of obstacle, great or small, that you got to dig in to God, lean hard his direction rather than your own because your own strength will not sustain you in certain times in life. You have to surrender your preconceived ideas about what you are able to do on your own because it is no longer you that strengthens you. It's God that strengthens you. Here's a verse that we read today in Matthew. Okay, read it with me. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What word am I going to highlight for you right now? All. All things are possible. All things are possible with God. Um, if you are intentionally moving towards maturity and pursuing Christ, or wait a minute, if you are not intentionally moving towards maturity and pursuing Christ, you are intentionally moving away from him. Okay? If you are not actively seeking a relationship with Christ to know and to grow, you are actually actively falling away from him. 
There is no point where a believer can say, I'll stand right here, and I will not decline or grow in my faith. It does not happen. If you are not growing, you are declining. I cannot, as your pastor, stress that enough to you this morning. If you are not intentionally pushing yourself towards maturity, you are actively receding from it. If you are not intentionally pursuing Christ and his perfection in your life, you are actively running away from it. Discipleship does not happen by accident. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, you must choose to surrender that which hinders you so that you can fully follow me unhindered and obtain perfection. Otherwise, the only other choice is to go away sorrowful. The only other choice. The disciples heard that and they were like, uh, that seems kind of harsh, Jesus. Um, so um, Jewish tradition would say in that day and age that richness, physical richness, was equated with God's blessing. So the richer you were, the greater God favored you. So poor people were like, mm, you know, sit and beg because God doesn't favor you. The rich people, Pharisees, Sadducees, and rulers were favored because they were rich. Um, a little early name it and claim it kind of philosophy that we don't buy into in our church. We believe that God's blessing falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, the rich and the poor, the healthy and the sick, everybody. God's righteousness can fall upon, okay? Um, but they viewed um, richness equated with God's righteousness and blessing. So when the disciples um, heard Jesus say, give away everything you have, and then and only then will you have the favor of God and the perfection of God, Disciples were a little amazed and perhaps confused. So um, if those usually viewed as blessed by God weren't going to make it into the kingdom of heaven, who's going to stand a chance is what they said. Well, who can be saved then? If the rich people aren't getting in, who's getting in? Like, is anybody getting in, Jesus? Like, there was some worry going on in the hearts of the disciples. And Jesus, not in the most comforting way, replied, listen, um, Humanly speaking, no one's good enough to get to heaven. No one. No one can get to heaven. No one's good. No one's good apart from God. But God can and does regenerate hearts, making it possible to serve him rather than the word in the scripture is mammon, that thing that you worship in the place of God. So for the guy, it was money. For someone else, it's relationships. For someone else, it's status. For someone else, it's insert your own what you, you just love more than God. Whatever your bottom line is, see, um, it, says, uh, it says this. Um, no one can serve two masters, right? For he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. But you can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in pride. You can't serve God in status. You can't serve God and your spouse as God. Does that make sense? You are to serve your spouse, but not elevate your spouse above God. You cannot um, serve God and worship and serve your children above your relationship. There needs to be the hierarchy there. God first, then your spouse, then your children, then those beyond. Um, when it comes to uh, work, you cannot worship your work and worship God in the same way. You cannot do both is what God says. And then there's this. Read this one with me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? Now, if you read the whole context of that passage, you'd get an idea. I'll sum it for you. Peace and hope and provision and forgiveness and all of the benefits of living in the kingdom of God. Forgiveness and sanctification and that transformation in the heart by which the believer becomes the likeness of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit so that 
The things that once encumbered you no longer encumbered you. That halfway point, um, this is it. This is the point where God would say to you, Christian, don't stay where you are. Don't stay at the halfway point and feel the pain and give up. Rather, give up the things which hinder you and then finish the race strong. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to press on, to go that last distance in the race with him. Jesus wants the disciples in this passage to know, and you to know, that there is something more to this race than salvation. There is something more to this race than simply saying the prayer and having your sins forgiven once and then going about your life. There is something more to life than that. We are not saved from our sins to go back to the life that we had before we prayed that prayer and fall prey to the same kinds of false beliefs and optics, obstacles and sins that entangle us so that we meet the halfway point again. We're called to go beyond that halfway point. The call of discipleship in Christ is a call to completely die to yourself, your old self, and to be completely transformed into the image of Christ. This is something that goes beyond salvation, folks. This is what we in our denomination call a second work of grace, a work of the Holy Spirit by which you reach a point where you go, I can't do it on my own. I know I've received forgiveness for my sins, but I'm lacking something. I'm at the halfway point, and I don't have the energy to go on. I need more from God. And God sees that desperation and that desire and that passion, and he comes and he does this work in your heart where literally um, the language in Scripture is the idea that he roots out the old stuff, the things that you can't lay down on your own because you don't know how, but you say, God, I'll give you my whole entire self if you'll just do what you got to do so I can follow you. He roots out the old stuff and recreates you from the soul level to look like the likeness of Christ. We call this sanctification, and it is a glorious thing. It, um, it says this, um, the call to Christ, discipleship in Christ, is a complete call to die to your old self, be made alive in Christ, become a new creation, not a patched up version of your old self. Can I say that very clearly? You are not becoming a patched up version you are becoming a new person, like God recreating you, like he created Adam and Eve in the garden. This new desire suddenly within you. There will be an instant and noticeable transformation in your life from that point forward. And that differs from salvation in some cases. It says this in 2 Corinthians. Read this one with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Now, God's not a liar. So when it says this, it means this. It means that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, not just that you have received the simple forgiveness of your salvation, but that you have decided, unlike this rich young ruler, you have decided, I will give my whole life, whatever he asks of me, I surrender everything. God comes and lives in your life and he makes you a new creation. Those old things that you struggled with, um, they are gone from your life. You have to work with it, right? You have to nurture this relationship with God. But he does that heart-cleansing work for you so you can run the race unhindered, so you can press on towards the greater goal. He paves the way to perfection through his blood and sacrifice on the cross. It says this in Philippians, I press onward towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. Meaning you lean into God. You allow God to do that work in you and strengthen you. There is more to life in Christ than salvation. You are to be saved 
And then you are to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. I've said we call this sanctification, and the definition is the work of God, not you. The work of God that transforms the saved believer into the likeness of Christ, marked by a moment of choice to surrender all that you have and are to his lordship and leadership, and then to a process of a lifetime submission to that choice. It's the best choice one can ever make next to salvation. Becoming aligned with the word of God, fully surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit, and running the race with endurance. Um, it says this in Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter, yeah, chapter 12, get the right page marker here. Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us in the faith and those who are in the room with us, okay, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely to us so we can run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the author, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The finish line is not till death, okay? We focus on Jesus because he endured more than we ever could, so that we don't have to. He alone perfects us and our faith, and when we look at him and submit to him and endure in his strength, there is nothing we cannot do. With God, all things are possible. When you think circumstances will overcome you, think of Jesus who was overcome by your sins to the point of death on the cross, and then he overcame death to replace your sins with life and perfection. It was said this way at a conference I went to. Jesus went to death for us, then he punched a hole through death and came out the other side. I like that imagery. I think of Jesus like the Hulk going into death and smashing his way out and leading the captives free. I like that image. The finish line is not until death or until Jesus returns, whichever happens first in your life, okay? We don't get to quit, and we don't get to take this call of discipleship lightly. You are either becoming more like Christ every day or less like Christ every day, and there is no middle ground. You are either growing in Christ or you are moving away from Christ, and the reward is great for those who press on towards perfection in Christ. Jesus says it's 100-fold whatever you gave up in this life for Christ. 100-fold. I don't know how that works. Like, honestly, when he says, if you give up your mother or your father and you follow me, I don't think that means you get 100 mothers and fathers in heaven, okay? I think that means the blessings associated with are 100-fold what you could imagine. I think being in God's presence is probably a million times fold of a blessing to what we can experience now. Um, but he does say there are blessings associated with 100% surrender that far outweigh our fear of giving up that one or two or three things. This morning, um, there is a response needed by every heart. I just don't know what your response is. You and God need to work that out. You might need to turn or return to God. I don't know which one. You might need to turn or return to God. Now, you might need to run with someone this race. It is far better to run with someone than it is to run alone. What I wouldn't give to have my dog on a treadmill with me when I'm running in the gym. 
to just run knowing that you've got a buddy that will just be there with you. In Christian fellowship, we run that race together, right? You might need to turn to someone this morning or this afternoon and go, man, um, I would run this race better and happier and stronger. And if we could do it together, can we run this race together? You might need to pace yourself too. You might look at this message and everything we've talked about this morning and go, my life is in shambles and I have so much that needs to be changed. And then if you go out from this room and try and make all of those changes in one day under your own power, it's going to backfire. Um, pace yourself, okay? I don't sprint a 5K for good reason. I would die, okay? Um, if you've got 1,200 things that the Spirit has revealed to you that need to change in your life, ask him which one you'd like to start with and then start with that one. Little degrees of change will get you there. It's the fact that you are willing to submit and go on that journey. God honors that. Um, along the journey, though, you need to look for the wins, okay? This is just some practical advice. When you are walking and running with God, be sure that when he does something great in your life, you make note of it, you make it on a post-it note, you draw a picture of it, you put it in your day calendar. You, I don't know how you record things that God does for you, but you record it somewhere and put it somewhere because when you are struggling later in life, you need to be able to go back to that shoebox and read the things that God has done in your life. That will strengthen and encourage you because with God, all things are possible. Um, and faith is made complete by action. It's not just enough that we go, I believe and change nothing. But God is asking us to step out in faith and choose to run the race with him, choose to follow Christ, choose to surrender, choosing, 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 always choosing him. So this morning, everyone has a response to make, a way to apply God's word. And as we're getting ready to worship, um, your choice might be, this morning, you need to repent of your sin and be saved. You need to know that Jesus loves you and forgives you. You need to receive the forgiveness of God for the first time and become what we would call a born-again baby Christian, someone who's just learning what it means to follow Christ. You might need to return to God this morning. Maybe you've been walking with God, and then you didn't walk with God, and then you don't know where you are with God, and it seems like you're distant. But you know that God wants you to surrender to him. So maybe you just want to return to God and lay down the things that have hindered you and ask him to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you want what we've talked about in terms of sanctification. I know people that have prayed for months and months and months that God would fill them with that re-changing heart goodness of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to want it, Okay. Um, God wants you to really want to know what you're doing when you're surrendering your life to him. Because when you do, he will call you to do things that you ordinarily wouldn't have done. But he wants you to pray for that because he wants everyone to be fully surrendered. Maybe that's where you are this morning. But maybe, maybe you're running in the direction with God. Maybe you are doing the things that God has called you to do. And you're tracking with him and um, you're enduring the things that are coming before you. Here's what I would say to you if that's where you are. If you are running towards Christ already and you're tracking well, grab someone and bring them with you, okay? If you are faithfully running this race and your muscles haven't cramped and you're not panting and dying on the side of the road, would you reach down and grab one of those people who has had cramped muscles and is panting and dying on the side of the road? And would you pray for them? And would you take them out to coffee? And would you listen to their life? And would you not offer advice, but would you just pray and read scripture with them? They might be on your oikos list, the 8 to 
12 people that you pray for and minister to in your own community, your own life, might be your family. Um, we are called as Christians to run this race together. Sometimes that means we're the one receiving help. Sometimes that means we're the one giving it. But you are one or the other, and, um, and you, can, uh, you can run this race with Christ. So I want to give you a chance to um, match the intention of your heart um, with uh, the intention of God's heart this morning. The altar in the front is no more of a sacred space than your seat. But sometimes, simply the act of coming forward cements the decision in your mind to follow Christ. We'd say, this is open for you to pray um, in any capacity. Maybe you're praying for one of your oikos who you know needs Jesus more than anything in the whole entire world. Come and pray for them. Intercede because I think that's what God would want you to do. Maybe you just go to the prayer wall and you put your prayers on the prayer wall and you ask us to help pray in that capacity. Maybe you got nothing left, and all you can do is sit and put your head down and ask God to meet you where you are. That's good, too. But today, faith demands a response. So as we sing these songs, would you respond to God? That um, you are ours, not just in part. We don't live empty. We live in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, I pray that as you're working in every single heart here, that you would draw every single person in this building, in all of the churches across this city, for that matter, across this state, across this nation, and across the world, everyone who's worshiping you in truth this morning, Father, would you draw all of them closer into your presence? Would you save souls? Would you sanctify hearts? Would you change relationships? Would you strengthen churches? Would you make a difference for your kingdom in this time and this day right here, Father? We want that more than we want anything else in the whole entire world. We give you all the glory for that and all the praise, which is why we can sing so joyfully these songs of worship to you. believe that truth this morning Amen. that Christ is risen from the dead it's an Easter truth but the Easter truth is an everyday truth Christ is risen from the dead and as it said in this song fix your eyes on him and run to him who showed great love let him fill your hearts with his Holy Spirit to overflowing this week and go and share that good news with people who need it amen 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 go in peace <laughs>